Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Um, I want to thank Reverend Carl for asking me to come out today and uh, share a little bit of my experience um, with Native American heritage and uh, how it's uh, shown up in my life. Um, for those who don't know much about the Lumbee tribe, I am, uh, my mother is full-blooded Lumbee from Lumbee tribe of North Carolina. That's uh, Robson County is where most of the Lumbees reside. Uh, we have a large population in Baltimore, also in Philadelphia, but the largest community is in Robson County, North Carolina, which is southeastern North Carolina. And uh, we are the largest tribe east of the Mississippi, and we are probably the largest tribe in um, the United States that's um, unrecognized by the federal government. We've been recognized by uh, the state of North Carolina, probably since the, sometime in the 1800s. Um, Lumbee people were first observed in about 1724 by some explorers and settlers, and first thing they noticed was how different the Lumbee were from other tribes in the area. Um, the Lumbee were definitely not like anything else they had ever seen. This was a group of Native American people who dressed European, who had individual tracts of land that they farmed like Europeans, and they were practicing Christianity and had church houses. Now this is in 1724. So question then arises, how did this happen? How is there this group of Native Americans who are already assimilated for the most part in 1724? So there's uh, several different theories um, on how this happened. Uh, my favorite is uh, the Lost Colony of Roanoke theory. And um, that, uh, that theory um, is that when the Lost Colony went missing, when the English went back to, first of, when the English came with Sir Walter Riley and they settled in Roanoke, which is um, this day, it's down around the Outer Banks. It was not a good time to settle. It was late in the season for planting or anything like that, so supplies were short. Um, and it was going to be a rough, rough way to go for the settlers. And the local tribe of um, Hatteras Indians were friendly, and they helped out the settlers, and they shared with the settlers. And um, so a lot of the settlers felt comfortable in sailing back to England for supplies. So they didn't come back for another three years. They sailed back and I think it was 1587 and didn't return until 1590. And the settlement was gone. Uh, there was an etching in one of the nearby trees that said Croatan, and that's the only clue they had. Besides that, everyone had vanished. So a lot of theories came up. Maybe they were slaughtered, maybe they, who knows what happened, but uh, popular theory is that they migrated because that's what the native tribes did. They didn't stay in one place. They moved with the seasons and with, with the food. Um, and so from, I guess, 1590 until they were first observed in 1724, that's a lot of time to uh, go from the Outer Banks, which was then known as Roanoke, and to uh, the swamplands of North Carolina um, in Robson County. So what happened in all that time? Um, there's a lot of theories that uh, they, the English settlers married into 
families of the, uh, of the Indians. And most likely, there were other tribes that they kind of merged with. Um, the Lumbee were known for hiding people out. Uh, the Lumbee used to hide away, uh, they used to hide runaway slaves because the swamp lands in North Carolina were very uh, unforgiving. And a lot of um, Europeans just didn't go there. They wouldn't, there was no reason to go there. And, uh, and they wouldn't have wanted to go there. So Lumbee hid away runaway slaves, they hid away fugitives from other tribes. And so there was a lot of um, mixing going on there. And uh, for the longest time, they didn't know what to call these people. Uh, they didn't, right away, they weren't known as the Lumbee people. That name didn't happen until 1953. So before 1953, we were known as Cherwal Indians. Um, that name didn't stick. We were known as Croatan Indians, uh, and that didn't stick. Uh, for the longest time, we were just the Indians of Robson County. <laughs> and it wasn't until 1953 that the Lumbee, um, the way we got our name is from the lifeblood in, of the Lumbee people, which was the Lumber River, which runs through uh, that area of North Carolina, um, and known to the, to the indigenous people as the Lumbee River. And so that's where they took their name from, and that was finally uh, established in 1953. So my story is that when I was growing up, um, my mother's full-blooded Lumbee, and my father is of German and Irish ancestry. So as you can see, I kind of present European. That's how I show up. Um, and growing up, I never really had an issue with identity because I just, I appeared to be full-blooded European. Uh, but my, what I've come to uh, call myself is just a multicultural human being, which is what a lot of us are. Um, so growing up, identity wasn't really an issue. We would visit my family in North Carolina at least once or twice a year. And while I was in North Carolina, I was Lumbee. You know, the rest of the time, I was European or uh, Caucasian. Um, it wasn't until probably my late teens, early 20s, that I really started to uh, have a crisis with identity, and that's because I started to study Native American history, and I started to really embrace my, um, my culture. And some of that happened because I, at some point in my late teens, early 20s, I finally had the courage to, to come out to my um, family that I wasn't really comfortable with Christianity. I was born and raised Christian. Um, you know, my mom grew up Southern Baptist. Um, most of the Lumbee people are Southern Baptists. So they've totally lost their, any indigenous ways, any cultural um, ceremony, um, any cultural rituals that um, they probably at some point practiced. But, um, and when I, when I got the courage to tell my family, which most of my family is Christian, um, that, that was a hard thing to do. That was really, uh, I was just lost. I felt adrift. I didn't know. I was like, here I am back to square one. So if I'm not Christian, um, what am I? So I started studying lots of different uh, spiritualities. 
um, including Native American spirituality. But I was reading about Buddhism, I was reading about um, Hinduism, I was reading about Rastafarian, I was reading about voodoo, I was reading anything I could get my hands on. Um, you know, I have a, an affinity for the culture of uh, New Orleans because I went there nine years in a row for Jazz Fest, so that kind of stuck. And, and, uh, and so voodoo was just, uh, that was really interesting to me. But um, nothing really stuck, but the Native American uh, practices and just the spirituality just kept coming around. It wasn't really a conscious decision. It just, my, my library of books on Native American spirituality just started to grow, and, and that's what I kept coming back to. So at some point, I, I figured this is, this is what I need to pursue. Um, and the biggest thing is connection. Uh, when I think about this, I just never connected when I would um, think back to my childhood. I mean, there was, there was nothing wrong with the way I grew up. I mean, it was a great childhood. Um, but I just, when I started to study Native American history, I started to get a chip on my shoulder for Christianity because I would read about the negative effects that Christianity had on the Native population. Um, and it just, the more I read about that, the more I got this chip on my shoulder and, you know, just how, uh, and reading about Native American boarding schools and what they went through. And it was just, you know, I was like, how, how can this, how can these people do this and sleep at night? So I really had this chip on my shoulder and fortunately I've healed that, uh, I think for the most part. I think it still comes up now and again, but um, I wanted that connection, you know, I wanted that Blues Brothers connection of people doing backflips down the aisle and just really connecting with spirit and, uh, and I just never had that. And I was like, how can I get that? What, where am I gonna find that? And I didn't have that experience until the first time I did a pipe ceremony in a sweat lodge. And that's when I knew that this is what I need to pursue. This is, the, this is what lights me up. And I really hope that for everyone, that, that we, we all find that because there's all different paths to connect with spirit or to connect with your higher power. And for me, it, uh, it, that's where it came to fruition. Um, after my divorce, I was uh, in an apartment and I was by myself and I was really feeling adrift spiritually and uh, in many ways. But something had, um, there was a community that I had been introduced to many years before that, which is where I did this pipe ceremony and um, sweat lodge. And I hadn't connected with them in several years and I was just looking for that connection again. So I reached out to a contact in that community just to see if they were doing ceremony. And this was, this was in the height of COVID lockdown, you know, so everything was shut down and I kind of figured they weren't having ceremony, but um, I called someone and this uh, woman I called, her name was Michelle. And today I refer to her as grandmother Michelle because she's one of my teachers. Uh, when I called her, I, that was not, what I thought I was going to be getting into. I thought I was just going to be finding out about um, what, if they're holding any events. And of course they weren't holding sweat lodge because, yeah, I mean, they were in an enclosed area with some hot rocks and uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really a good thing to do during uh, the height of COVID. But 
we started talking and I started sharing with her about my heritage and how I really felt called to incorporate some of the stuff in my life. And there was, you know, I read a lot about the sacred pipe and, um, and, and the prayer pipe and something was calling me that I really felt I needed to incorporate that into my life, but I didn't know how. Um, I felt that I had read enough that I could probably intuitively come up with some kind of prayer ceremony with the pipe where it would be respectful, you know, it would just be me by myself. I wouldn't be like doing this for the public or anything like that. It would just be my own personal practice. And so I found most people traditionally are giving up, given a pipe when you um, become a pipe carrier. Usually in that tradition, someone gifts you a pipe. Um, so me, I kind of went uh, the other way. I bought my pipe. <laughs> but um, I researched, uh, I found uh, some native artisans in um, Arizona. And so I bought my pipe, and I was all excited to use it. But when it came, something told me just not to use it. And, and I don't know why, but I just I didn't use it. Um, and then speaking with Grandmother Michelle, I came to find out that she was a pipe carrier. And she offered to mentor me and teach me in the ways of the sacred pipe. And so that was totally out of le left field. I wasn't what I expected. Um, I met up with her and uh, uh, gave her my pipe to hold on to for a while. We wrapped it in sage and sweet grass and, um, and she held on to it for a while until the time was right to uh, give it back to me and, and start my training. So I did a year training with her on that, and um, and now I pray with my pipe pretty much every day. So that's something that I've incorporated into my life, and it just, again, it's one of the first times that I can recall praying that really lit me up and really gave where I felt a connection um, that I had never felt before. Um, and in that time, I've also started to uh, regularly participate in uh, sweat lodge ceremonies. Um, and that, again, is just, it's, it's hard to put into words uh, the feeling of connection I get uh, in doing these ceremonies. Um, which brings me to something I'm struggling with uh, currently, and that's cultural appropriation. Um, for me, it's, it's kind of hurtful to, if anyone, you know, to be approached in, in that manner that what I'm doing might be cultural appropriation because even though my people are all assimilated and we um, practice Christianity, at some point we didn't. At some point in our history, we, we practiced these ways. And uh, I had to make peace with going outside of my tribe to learn these ways. And I just... For me, that's where I feel a connection. So to be told that you can't do that because that's not part of your heritage, it's, to me, it was, it's really part of all human beings' heritage. We all lived very close to the earth at some point. Um, and we had these rituals and ceremonies long before Christianity or any other um, spiritualities or religions were in introduced. So. It's uh, sweat lodges, that type of sweating in an enclosed space like that with hot rocks is known in many cultures, uh, not just Native American. I mean, it's in, it's in a lot of different cultures. So um, I just, uh, for me, I find uh, I, I don't have that same hit with cultural 
appropriation as some tribes do have, and I understand that, um, and I want to be, I want to have um, empathy towards that because there are uh, there are people who do these ceremonies for profit. There are people who uh, you know charge you to come to ceremonies like that, and so I get that. And and some of these ceremonies have not ended well for people. So um, I really do understand not you know being upset with people who do this for profit. Any of the ceremonies I've ever been to, there, no one was charging money. The most they asked you for was to bring a dish for the potluck after the ceremony. Um, there may be a bowl set out for donations, but no one was charging for these ceremonies. So um, I feel good about that, that I haven't uh, you know, ever found myself in that situation where I was being asked to pay for a ceremony. Um, so this kind of leads me into healing. So some of the healing I've done, uh, which is the healing of this chip I had on my shoulder for uh, Christianity. Um, the Lumbee people kind of, you know, we evolved through merging with other cultures, with other tribes, with Europeans. And even though Christianity was probably really, uh, they probably felt pressured to convert to Christianity, really to avoid persecution and to be able to blend in with society. The Lumbee people were never forced onto reservations. Um, they were never forced into boarding schools. Um, when they merged with other tribes and, and Europeans, the natives obviously greatly outnumbered the Europeans in that, in that little nucleus there. So um, they obviously converted for survival, just to blend in and not be forced onto reservations and to not be persecuted by the government and by other settlers. So I've learned to be okay with that. I mean, if that's, it's free will and if that's what you still choose to do, I mean, to this day, most of my family are Southern Baptists. Um, my mom had converted to uh, the Lutheran religion because my mom was married before and my father, was, who was Catholic, he was brought up Catholic. So they were both married before and their churches would not marry them. So they converted to Lutheran so they could get married and that's how I grew up and that's how um, they're still Lutheran to this day. Um, but you have to, there has to be forgiveness for me. There's, I have four pillars of healing, uh, four principles that I try to live by. Most of them um, are found in any spirituality that you would study, not just Native American, but you'll find it in most spiritualities. Um, for me, so connection, for me, connection really came from studying Native American spirituality. Um, connection to self, connection to the natural world, um, connection to other people, and connection to spirit. Um, the other one is unconditional love, forgiveness, and gratitude. It really warmed my heart to see the kids with the cards of gratitude this morning. That's, that was great. Um, one of my teachers says to um, always turn towards gratitude. And so that's a, that's a real big thing for me, just having that gratitude practice in my life, being grateful for every day. Um, unconditional love. You know, love for me a lot of times came with conditions. Um, that's been my experience. And... So it's, it's important for me to not to just say love, but to put unconditional in front of it, because 
love with conditions, just, you know, it's I love you if, or I'll love you when. And uh, that's, that's not the love where I, for me, where I feel connection. It's the love where I love you just as you are in this moment, no need to change, um, no need to be anything other than what you are. And that's, that's my definition of unconditional love, and that's where I feel the greatest connection with my fellow human beings and the natural world, uh, any winged beings, four-legged beings that crawl on their bellies. Um, so moving from unconditional love, then we go into forgiveness. And forgiveness really starts here. It starts within. Um, forgiving myself for any of the judgments I've had uh, towards other people, towards Christianity, towards other forms of spirituality that don't line up with my perspective. So that's where I try to live my life today is unconditional love, forgiveness, gratitude, and connection. And again, uh, most of these, they, these pillars can be found in all spiritual traditions mainly. Um, even though connection I get from Native American uh, spirituality, and especially connection to the natural world, uh, that's been a really big thing in my, uh, in my healing. So um, I just want to thank everyone for being here today. Thank you for uh, listening to my ramblings. <laughs> and, uh, and happy Native American Heritage Month. Thank you. Thank you.